great time. It's been a busy time, but a great time because two of our daughters have had children, and that's always exciting and always worthwhile, generally. Uh, but uh, it's been exciting for us. We've had additions to our family. So thank you to all of those who just said congratulations and all that type of stuff. And uh, we appreciate that. And, uh, and um, actually, there's babies everywhere at the moment, uh, which is brilliant. Um, we've, been, uh, con- we've been sharing on the book of James. It's a little book, uh, which, which was originally a letter and uh, written by James, who was uh, the brother of Jesus. Did you know that? This is the James who was the brother of Jesus. Um, his, James's literal father was Joseph and his mother was Mary, while Jesus's father wasn't biologically Joseph, but certainly was, the mother was Mary. So James is the brother of Jesus. And, and we see, um, interesting enough, um, James, who wrote this original letter that we call a book of four chapters, didn't actually believe who his brother really was. He didn't actually believe the claims that Jesus made about him being the Savior of the world and the Messiah or the Son of God. James didn't believe that. The time that James did believe that is when Jesus literally died on a cross, was buried and rose again and was and resurrected. James had an incredible revelation at that moment. And he became... Now, he had all the beliefs of the Old Testament. He was a firm believer in the Old Testament. He was a, he was a Jew. Uh, but now we see... Uh, Jesus is uh, he's truly, truly believes as Jesus now said, uh, not only said it, but did what he said he would do, and that is he rose from the dead. And so James had this revelation, he had this epitome in his life, and he went full on, and he became the leader, he established and the leader of the Jerusalem church. And um, it's interesting because um, the passage I want to read from James chapter 2 today is talking about faith. And it was inevitable that I think James wrote about faith because he had such a crisis of faith in his own life as he was growing up. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus, the younger brother? You know, Jesus has got all these things said about him. And, you know, um, and, um, and then as he gets to 30, he starts his ministry and you see him start to heal the sick and do amazing things. And James is like, what is this guy about? You know, and, 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 and there was no doubt some conflict within James in regards to whether he believed him or not believed him, obviously. And, and so James, it was inevitable that James had a crisis of faith. But he then writes about faith very strongly in James chapter 2. And that's why we're doing this series called Live It, because James is a practical book. It's a simple, practical book about living the Christian life and what God wants for us to live. And so we see, we talked about trials. We talked about, what was the other week? Anybody remember? Um, Temptations, thanks, John. Just seeing. So, but now James addresses this area of faith, and he addresses it like no other book in the Bible. He talks about faith so differently, so powerfully. So, I want us to read uh, James chapter two, verses fourteen to twenty-six. And as we read this, just um, be on the screen. But please, if you've got your own apparatus or Bible, you're welcome to read. It says in James chapter two, verse fourteen. It says, "What does it profit?" My brothers and sisters, we could pull in there. If someone says he has faith but does not have what? Works. Can faith save him? Now, this is a question. It's a genuine question. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of food daily, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Whoa. 
But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Isn't that interesting? James is really stating right there. He says, you know what? Sometimes James is saying, I think belief is, it, it isn't that hard to believe in a God and to believe in the Lord Jesus. He says, even the demons believe in God and the Lord Jesus. Even the demons believe. But they are the ones who hate God the most. They want to see him destroyed. They want to see Jesus destroyed. Well, they thought they had him destroyed at Calvary when he died on a cross. But Paul, um, James is saying, hey, you know what? You, you have a belief. He's having a little bit of, uh, he's playing on words here. And James is saying, you know, you, to believe, you believe in God. That's good. That's good. He says, nothing wrong with, you've got to believe in God. But you know what? Even the demons believe in God. Come on. There's another, there's another step maybe here we need to take. So, um, verse 20, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Interesting. He says it again. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? What he offered Isaac, his son on the altar, when he offered Isaac, his son on the altar. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that you see then that a man or woman is justified by works, not by faith only. Big statement. Uh, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messages and sent them out another way? But for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Interesting passage of scripture here. So see, we see James talks about faith. He talks about it quite interestingly. He talks about faith that works. My message of today is faith that works faith that works. There's a play on words. Faith is not just, faith can work. It does work when we have the right uh, ingredients to faith. Faith works. It does work and it also works as in actions, things. So James is talking about that. He addresses this whole topic and three times he says, faith without works is dead. Whoa. I want to just show you a picture and I, and I want to illustrate what I believe um, James is trying to say. And um, and let me put it up here, this picture, uh, if we can get it up there. There we go. Some of you have seen this picture before of a turtle sitting on top of a post. It's an it's interesting picture. Uh, the interesting thing about this picture is that you and I know uh, today uh, that the turtle could never climb that pole on his own. Is that correct? It's a physical impossibility. Unless, you know, there was a miracle and God somehow, you know miraculously elevated him and levitated him and put him on the pole but that didn't happen um, just as that turtle you've got to understand that just as that turtle did not get there through his own effort do you know we cannot gain salvation through our own effort we, we can't gain, gain salvation through our own effort it's by believing by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, what he did for us uh, at Calvary dying on a cross rising again taking away our sin it's a belief in our hearts and the confession of our mouth. So let it be known today that James is in agreement with that. We'll, we'll see that because he talks about faith. He says, you know, um, he's in agreement with that if you would read the passage. But, you'll, but he's talking about the realities that if we, we cannot earn our salvation, uh, works does not give us any more of God's love. Works or good things does not take God's love. Um, we can't take God's love away by doing nasty things or bad things. God's love is there, His grace is there, His mercy is there. So that, that's a good part of it. But just as that turtle couldn't get there on his own effort, we need to realize 
that maybe the turtle had a desire to see more than the dirt that he crawled in. I think a lot of people want to see more than just where they're at at the moment. They want to see, they want to see better things happen, don't we all? We want, to see, we, we want to have a better vision. We want to have a better, see life happen better. I think there's not one of us who wouldn't want that. Um, so there's, I think there's turtle. Just, just you know, humor me for a moment. This turtle had a higher and a greater desire. Uh, he, and he wanted to see further. He wanted to be more than he was, just on the ground level, crawling through the mud and dirt. And so let's imagine a good Samaritan kind of person who cared about the turtle's plight, picked him up gently and placed him on the pole. He was a happy turtle. And the reason he was happy is he could see and experience so much more from that height now. He'd never seen across the lake, and now he can. He'd never been able to, to see right across into the, you know, over to the horizon. Now he can see further. So he's excited. Now, I think the turtle had a belief and a faith. If he was wanting to see further, he had a belief and a faith one day that he would see further. He wasn't quite sure how that was going to happen. He wasn't quite sure how that was going to unfold. But what we see is he, it took the actions of someone. It took the actions of a kind-hearted, good Samaritan type of person that had faith for the turtle also. That one day, I think this turtle deserves more. I think this turtle needs to see more. I think this turtle doesn't need just to crawl in the dirt. He needs to see above that. And took him and placed him on the pole and said, There you go, turtle. I've just fulfilled, I, I've just got belief and faith for you that you're going to be better, see better, and have a better life. And the turtle said, Thank you. And so we see that the good works of the person that put the turtle there demonstrated their belief and faith of a better day for that turtle. And that's what James is saying. James is saying, he's saying, you know what, because we're not saved by good works, certainly not saved by good works, we're saved, but we are saved, folks. We have salvation, we have a belief in Jesus. Not just so that we may one day just get to heaven and just scrape through and make it into eternal life. That's going to be a good day, would you agree? But there's, we are saved, not by good works, but we're saved for good works. And our good works demonstrate often sometimes our faith. Of how we go. Sometimes our, what we do is a demonstration of our faith. It's a demonstration. I was, I was driving one day with my mum uh, in Brisbane. And as I drove down Algester Road, she lived in the suburb of Algester, I noticed a man had parked on the other side. His bonnet was up. And often if you see a person's bonnet up, you know the car's broken down. So I felt compelled to go and help him. So I I crossed over where I could, got over the other side of the medium strip, and I parked in front of him. I assumed something. I assumed that his battery was flat. And when I got to talk to him, he was a man of, um, of Eastern, uh, you know, Middle Eastern, uh, um, obviously, uh, culture. And his English was broken, but that's cool. He was able to c converse with me in his broken English that his battery was definitely flat and, he, and, he's, and, and, uh, and he's, he just needed help. And so I said, no problem. I said, I have some jumper leads. So I backed my car up. I put the jumper leads on. I started my car. Started, he started his car. His car started to run. I took the jumper leads. His car continued. He came up to me. He said, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I gave him a big smile. He gave me a big smile. I shook his hand. He put his hand. I shook his hand. And I said, sir... I just want you to know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and um, this is what Christians do. He went, oh, and then that was all he said. 
and, and, I, and I walked away and hopped in my car and we drove home to my mom's place. I, I, I'm not saying that I'm this, this incredible goody two-shoes. I'm just saying that I think sometimes when we, we act out of faith, we've got to believe, not just for that moment, but what we do with there's something eternal purpose is involved in that action. There's something, that's what we need. That's when faith needs to rise up and say, I believe that for that man, for some reason, that may, I may never see him again. And maybe one day I'll walk into heaven and he may be there if we recognize each other in heaven. He may be there and said, do you remember the day when you helped me with my car? I said, yeah. He said, you know what? That started me on a quest to find out what this God was like you talked about. I don't know, but I think that we've got to sometimes connect the reality that faith and works can work together. Now, we're not saved by works, but they certainly can work together to demonstrate great faith. That's what James is talking about. And you know what? I, I think our problem can be that we do not sometimes connect what we do out of charity and love for care for people with faith. And we don't associate it with faith. But every time we do something, I think we need to. So now we come back to James. He gives us three examples of the faith that works. It's not just a throwaway line. He says, faith that works is dead three times. And he gives us three examples in this passage of Scripture. It's quite an easy passage to preach out of because it's got three examples. It's got the example of helping the needy. It's got the example of Abraham. And it's got the example of Rahab. Let's talk about it real quick. Would you like to talk about it? I'm glad. Good. So, James chapter 2, 15 and 16. Let me recap these two verses. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but do not give them things which are needed for their body, what does it profit? So we see here James is talking about meeting the practical needs of people, of needy people. So the first sign of faith that works is charity. Do you know what charity is? Charity is helping others in genuine need. You, you might say, well, that's not a great revelation. Yeah, but have we ever connected it that when we sometimes give out of charity and give out of love and care or support, that actually we're, we're, we've got to associate that with an opportunity for us to release our faith and believe, you know, as I give this money or as I give this time, as I give this care, in actual fact, I'm believing for a better life for this person. I'm believing for an eternal purpose to come to pass. Do you know how many people come to Christ because someone cared for them? Millions. Maybe you did because someone stretched their hand out in some kind of need, met some need of yours. So charity is the helping of others in genuine need. Do you know, you know in Israel, Jewish culture, the culture was that when the Jewish um, farmers would harvest their crops of wheat, for instance, they'd leave a portion of the crop. And what they would do is they'd leave it on purpose for the poor to come and collect the heads of wheat so they could then go and make their bread. Did you know that was a part of their culture? And so when the poor came and went into the field and started to collect the, wheats of, um, the, head, the heads of the wheat, it wasn't seen as stealing because it was left for them. It was, there was this culture within Jewish um, times. And, 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 you know, the reality is you and I live in a society that says consume everything you have for yourself. Consume everything you have for yourself. What you earn, you're right to. You know, what I earn, to be honest, it's what God has given me anyway. And he, and he only actually asks me forever a tenth. That's amazing. I'm glad I can give more than that. Isn't it amazing? It's all God's and yet he asks just for a tenth. And, you know, and then there's the area of, of just having opportunity to be able to give to people who have nothing, who are genuinely needy. It's an act of faith sometimes to actually step out and say, what I'm doing for you is I'm believing for a better day. A change of heart and eternal purpose. 
Do you know there's a lady um, in the Bible? Remember the lady in the Bible called Ruth? And, and, um, and she, she actually had, her husband had passed away. And, you know, uh, culturally, um, when, a, when a man of the home or the household died in a Jewish family, it could make the family quite destitute because that was the sole um, income stream. And so Ruth had no income stream, no one to look after her. Um, she, was a, uh, she was actually a Moabite. She went back to Israel and uh, she met up with um, a guy called Boaz, who was quite wealthy. And Boaz actually used to leave, tell his harvesters to leave the parts of the crop, particularly for Ruth, uh, to pick up because she was a widower and she was a genuine need. And besides that, Boaz kind of liked her and thought he might have a chance. And, uh, and so he would leave parts of the crop for her and she'd pick it up and make bread. And eventually they did marry. They did marry. And Ruth, though she was a Moabite, was received into the Jewish culture and family. And uh, she actually became then one of the genealogy of Jesus' line. Um, so we see this, this principle of giving. The principle is this, this, is this. If we don't consume everything we earn, it's not for us. Part of it is for us to help the needs of the poor and needy. Wow. How would you go through life if you actually set aside stuff that you could just be continually for the poor and the needy set aside? I think that would be amazing. There's a guy called John. He wrote in the Bible, 1 John chapter 3, 17 and 18. He says this, um, those little books of John, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need and shuts up his heart from him, and how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, do not let love, do not, sorry, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and what? In truth. It's interesting that John would share that verse because John is addressing, if, to give you a, a short version of the whole story, John is actually addressing a thing called a, 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 a um, fallacy or, or a belief system that was false in the church and where he was preaching and writing this letter to. It was called Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism is simply this. All spiritual things are good, which is a good thing to believe. All spiritual things are good, but all physical things are evil. And so John was addressing basically this, this wrong fallacy or this wrong false teaching. That means physical things are of no worth, not important. Spiritual things are more important. And we'd all agree about part of it, but not the other. So one of the things John is addressing here is about loving other people. This is why he wrote this verse, if you put, leave it up there. John is saying, if you have the world's goods and you don't help out the poor, people who have nothing or little, how can you say the love of God is in you? And the teaching was saying, see, the teaching was saying matter is evil. Spirit is good, so you don't have to look after the practical needs of the poor because that's just material things of no great consequence. And that's a shame that it started to creep into the church. And John's addressing this because if you remember when the church was established back in the second chapter of Acts, on that fateful day when 3,000 people came to the Lord Jesus Christ, you remember very clearly that one of the great qualities of the early church was they divided their goods and shared with each other. So no one was without and now they're resorting back to this stinginess and this uh, false teaching of Gnosticism that says matter is of no consequence. Physical things are not important. I don't know how they got around the fact that you've got to eat <laughs> or things like that. So John and James are saying, you're wrong, you who believe in this belief. The way you can tell that you have tr got the love of God is that we'll look after the needs of the poor 
And the way you tell that you have faith for those needy people is to have a better, to have a better future, is helping out those who haven't got much. So, so James is kind of really highlighting a very practical part of a demonstration of faith. Do you know, as a church, there's a couple in the Philippines, they're pastors, Pastor Ray and Pastor Jocelyn. And, and uh, they um, they're obviously married, um, but they have three wonderful children. And we've had the opportunity of supporting them for about 15 years. They live actually on the island of Leyte. Uh, they live where we support another missionary called Pastor Margaret Pashley, who is a great ministry of the Center for Change and Orphanage. But they, they live in the city of Barawan, which is just there near Pastor Margaret. Pastor Margaret Pashley... Even though we're giving to her and have continued to give to her for over 34 years and support her in ministry and what she's been doing, she unselfishly said to me about 15 years ago, you know what, this pastor and this couple need your support. They are a genuine couple, but they have nothing. And they're out there serving. You know, they have a church in Barawan that they planted. They have a church halfway up the mountain. If you know the Philippines, there's flatland and then there's mountainous regions and halfway up the mountain they have another church and then right at the tops of the mountain they have another church which like takes two hours to get to but they get there on these little tri tricycle motorbikes fit about 15 people and uh, all the way up there and they minister and outreach and so we as a church have been supporting them for 15 years so I just want to say um, thank you <laughs> you say well we didn't really know well now you do I've, been, uh, I've had the privilege of preaching in the little church in Browen, uh, which has been a real privilege. And then they've taken me halfway up the mountain. They're very gracious to me. They don't, they don't take me right up the top because <laughs> it's such a long way. It's such a bad track. But anyway, they take me halfway up. And I've seen uh, Pastor, Pastor Ray and Jocelyn actually just out of their own pocket, the little they have, give money to the people who come to their church simply because the people are so poor, so poor. Um, that they can't even get to the church because they need the money to, the, um, to, to get a little tricycle or like a little taxi. They have motorbikes that are taxis. They have motorbikes with, with you know, like pillion passenger cars on them and the taxis. And these people can't even get to church. So pastor, they provide and give them money to get home from church. And I just think, here's the poor giving to the, even the poorer. And I think, why, why is this man and this woman got three churches that are moving forward and people are being one to Christ? I believe it's because their faith is action. Their faith is seen and demonstrated through their action. It's a wonderful example. A wonderful example. I am so privileged to, to be a part of. We are privileged to be a part of that ministry and what God's doing. Here's the second thing that God said. Here's the second one. It says in James chapter 2.21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? So the second example that James gives us of faith that works is the example of Abraham offering his son Isaac on the altar. And Abraham, to be honest, didn't want to kill his only son. He was the promised son. It, now God, from this promised son, I mean, Abraham was like 100 and he had this son. He was pretty old. His Sarah, his wife, was 90. To have a son at that age was a miracle. And so here's the miracle son now being asked by God for Abraham to go and sacrifice him. What is happening here? This seems like such a wrong thing to do. In other words, but Abraham, you know what? He did it. Abraham didn't want to, but it was, he was obedient and made him, and Abraham followed through with it. You can read the story in Genesis 22. 
Uh, By the way, if you've never read the story in Genesis 22, let me put your mind at ease. God stopped him at the last moment. Okay, just so you know. And what happened was, as we see that God provided a uh, lamb called uh, a goat or, or a sheep caught in the thicket. I think it was a goat. And they grabbed that and they sacrificed that. So what was the point of this whole thing that God took Abraham through? God stopped Abraham from doing it, thankfully. But what, why did he take him to the brink of, of, of um, you know, sacrificing his son? So this, this is the reason. The second sign of faith that works is obedience. It's obedience. See, we need more than a mental knowledge of God. It's also got to be a deep-seated obedience. Heartfelt obedience to God. You, you say, well, I don't want a master over my life. I don't want someone to rule my life. I tell you what, it's the best master, the best ruler in your life. He's not, he's not a hard taskmaster. He's just someone that he, he wants you to be obedient to. And you know what? Sometimes it's actions of faith that we're going to display to be obedient to him. We, we, when we sometimes do things that, you know, we, that um, just require us to... Oh, because Abraham obviously didn't want to do this. And sometimes the things that maybe we read about in God's word, that God speaks to our heart about and says, you've got to this is, do it out of obedience. Sometimes those things can seem very hard. They can seem unpopular. They're not the way that everybody else is doing it. And, and you know, it's almost swimming against the flow of what the culture of our society says, to be obedient to what God wants you to do. But I tell you what, it's amazing. As you apply yourself in obedience, it's amazing. Why don't you connect faith with that and say, God, as I do this, I'm believing for a better day. I'm believing for a better result. I'm believing as I'm obedient to you, God, that that there will be a wonderful consequence for this because I'm believing by faith. So, just quickly, if to illustrate this thought, you know, when I was a young man, I started working at the power station at the age of 18, and and I didn't get married until I was 24, so... um, which was a great day, by the way. Uh, but certainly those uh, six years, uh, I, I discovered a culture that I hadn't really been aware of in our workplace. And it was a culture of immorality. Um, I'd go to work and guys would talk about their, um, their sexual conquests for the weekend. Um, I'd go to work and, and um, you know, I remember one year I, I was, uh, had to go to, for my apprenticeship. I had to go and study in Brisbane. And they, they kept us in this... Um, residential college and so I was put in with another guy who I kind of knew um, but in one one um, apartment he had a bed I had a bed and um, it's different to the other time when I was actually in another boarding house but this was another time and um, and so on the weekends I was in Brisbane I go and spend time with my sister and her husband and then I, they dropped me back on Friday evening and I came home one Friday evening to my apartment where we're staying in this residential college and uh, the guy had um was there, and I noticed my bed was all messed up, all messed up. I said, what's happened here? And with a smirk on his face, he says, oh, don't worry, mate, I just had a friend over, and, um, and, she, and we had a couple of girls, and um, he used your bed. And I'm like, you're joking, buddy. You mean this guy and a girl were in my bed? Yeah, you know, I'm like, they said, yeah, don't worry about it, mate, get over it. So I didn't push it with this guy. I, did, I had to live with him for the next eight weeks. I didn't need that. But he never did it again. <laughs> Let's just say that. So I had to sleep in a bed with someone else. A young couple had been involved. And I just... And I remember the pressure, pressure, pressure. Now, I never bowed to that pressure. I never tried to give in to that pressure. And actually, at the age of 24, I remember that six months leading up to my marriage, I had this guy at work who used to say to me, you've got to try before you buy, buddy. You're an idiot. 
And I, and I looked at him and thought, you're the idiot. <laughs> I never said that to him. <laughs> but I just would walk away. Try, he bombarded me most days of the week for six months. I want to just say, sometimes, because I'd read in the Bible, with fornication, that sleeping with a person who's not married, it wasn't the right thing to do. And besides that, I'd read the story of Samson and Delilah's marriage, and it was messed up because of lust. And so I thought, I don't want to go there. I, don't want to, I heard a great number of messages on it. I went to youth camps. I thought, I don't want to go there. And so I want to say, sometimes to do the, the, the obedient thing can be an unpopular thing in the culture of the world. I want to tell you, don't listen to the world. Listen to what God says to you and be obedient. And you know what? As I did that, by faith, I believed that my marriage was going to be better than it could ever be because I'd remained... Um, uh, uh, what's the word? Celebrant? I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Pure. How's that? <laughs> well, try to as much as possible. I remain right. I did. I was just obedient. And I'm just thankful because I, I and many of you have this testimony, which is wonderful. If you don't have this testimony, don't, I, want, I want you to encourage you. God's able to do a wonderful thing in our lives and our marriages despite our muck-ups, Okay. But I'm just grateful because I was, I was obedient. I was believing for a better day. And I, and, I've, and I found my marriage just gets better and better and better all the time. Isn't that exciting? And I found that as a result of my purity and keeping myself, that my, my, my girls have done the same thing. And, and it's a blessing on their families. And I pray that it'll be a blessing on their children. And I just think, God, isn't it amazing when you're obedient by faith, there's something positive and eternal comes out of it. Obedience, that's what God was talking about. That's what James was talking about when he said... Abraham, talking about the faith of Abraham, the hero of faith, Abraham. You see, what a sign of having a heart after God is actually obedience. What's a sign that faith works? It's actually obedience. Here's the third thing, James chapter 2, 25. It says this, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? Now, this almost goes against what I just said to you, because you've got this lady who's a prostitute, and she's counted as a hero of faith. Wow, this is, a, this, is a, this is a way out there story. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Um, uh, so there we go. What's it talking about? Quickly, the story is Rahab lived in an apartment in the wall of a city called Jericho. She was a Canaanite. She wasn't a Jewish lady. She was a Canaanite. The, Jews, the, the Jewish Israel came across the Jordan out of the desert. God said, Jericho is the first city you need to take and, and, and um, destroy. And so they sent, Joshua sent two spies into Jericho um, to find out what the city was like. And guess whose apartment they used. They came in through the window of Rahab's apartment in the wall of the city. They went and had a look at the city and they came back and stayed in her apartment. Um, in some ways, who would ever, it, it was probably a, a pretty good plan because who would ever bother to think about two guys going in and out of a person who's home, two men going in and out of a prostitute's house? Probably people wouldn't think about it. You know, she always has men in there. But you know, the reality was is that there was something in the heart of, of Rahab that was far greater than just the things she did wrong. There was something of a faith and belief that what she was doing was actually had something bigger than her because she knew by helping, she felt in her heart by helping these two spies have a look at this city um, that she was actually 
Uh, she didn't know it at the time, but she was propelling the purposes of the kingdom of God forward by her acceptance and her harboring of these two spies so they could check out. The authorities found out that, that someone had come into the city, the spy at the city, and they found out it was Rahab, and they went to Rahab, and she gave them, um, she told them, that uh, uh, you know that she had known two guys had come. She didn't know there were spies. Mm, lie anyway. I, we won't try to theologically get around that one. But anyway, uh, she told them they left when really they were still there on the roof under some um, hidden under some um, kind of um, uh, wheat or something like that. And um, eventually, the two spies left via the window. And uh, we see that they say, you know what, we're coming back to take this city, just leave a red thread, a red rope or a red cord outside your window and we'll know that in, uh, anybody in your house, we will not kill or attack. And that's exactly what happened. They took the city, you might know the story, the walls came down, Rahab and whoever was in her house, her family was saved. She became, Rahab became um, a Canaanite woman, got um, integrated into the Jewish culture. She too was the great-great-grandfather of the man I mentioned before. Uh, sorry, the great-great-grandfather of the King David. Did you know that? Rahab was the great-great-great-great-grandfather of King David. She was the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth. She was in the genealogy of Jesus. She didn't know any of that. But here is a foreigner in the Jewish genealogy of Christ. How does that happen? Because she was a woman that decided to put an action into place that would bring about the kingdom of God across the promised land. She was a woman that actually actioned it and said, I'm going to harbor, I'm going to look after these two guys. And um, amazing, isn't it? She didn't know at the time, but I think, so what is the point here? What's the point of, of this faith statement? This is what it is. So the third sign of faith that works is that Rahab served the nation of Israel. It's service. It's service. By faith, she served the nation of Israel. She established and set up the very first city that the nation of Israel would take and be the conquest of all the promised land so that the Jewish people could come and settle in that land. She was the catalyst. She was the first one that said, hey, I'm going to look after them. I'm going to believe because I've heard what happened on the other side of the Jordan, how God brought them through the Jordan and part of the Red, part of the Red Sea and part of the Jordan. I heard about those things. I'm believing that God's in this. And so she became a woman of the hero of faith. That's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, of all places, um, that declares that and actually says that because it says, um, by faith, Abraham did not perish when she had received the spies with peace. By faith, she did not perish because she was believing for a better day. She served and she saw a better day. Service is the sign of being, I just believe, being a Christian. <laughs> Jesus actually confirmed this because there was a, a time in Luke chapter 22. It mentioned that the disciples were arguing amongst themselves who was the greatest. And Jesus says, you know who the greatest is? The one who serves the other. The one who serves the other. The thing about serving Let's not see it as some act of service without good consequence. Let's not just do it and say, oh, well, that's good. I've just done my thing. No, no. Let's see it as doing and producing something for a better future by faith believing. If you've served in this church since the 12th of July in this COVID season, 
if you've served in this church, you've been a part. I don't care what part it's been, cleaning the toilets, it's been doing whatever. You are an incredible person. I want to say thank you today because you've been a part of extending the kingdom of God. Over 20 people have responded to the Lord Jesus Christ in these last nine months. Over eight people have been water baptized in these last, I think there could be a few more. I hope I haven't missed any. Been water baptized. People have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God's been touching hearts and lives. See, I want you to see your service. Don't just think it's something I do. No, no, see it as an act of faith. As I do it, I'm believing that I'm a part of something quite big that's actually doing something for the kingdom of God. It's serving the kingdom of God. If you would like to serve, come and, come and see some of the team because I believe that it's a powerful principle. You're a little bit quiet. You're okay? Yeah. See, we see that Rahab was considered a hero of the faith. She had no idea this one decision to serve the nation of Israel would lead to her becoming the great, great, as a great grandmother of King David, etc., etc. You know, at, at the age of 20, I started serving in church. And um, I cleaned the toilets and I've, I vacuumed the carpet. And, and I used to do this thing called um, overhead projection oper- operator. Who remembers the overhead projectors? Weren't they fabulous for this season? <laughs> and you take, it's an overhead projector, you take this overhead projector and you take a clear, transparent um, plastic and you'd have all the words of the songs written on them or printed on them and you'd put it on there and it'd project it up onto the wall. We used to have two um, when the church was the other way. And so um, I was one of those for a while and it was, the, it was an exciting, I was glad to serve. Because somewhere I think in my heart, there was this belief and faith that what I'm doing is, it, it's bigger than just my little part. But my little part is going to join with other people's little part and going to make something significant. Do you know over a thousand people have responded to Christ in this church in the last 50 years? I'm being conservative. Do you know that 50 people have gone to Bible college? 36 pastors have come from this church. Port City. I'm not trying to brag about any person. I'm just saying because of the people who serve and the body of Christ that's here, something wonderful and eternal has happened. You know, and I want to say we've got to, when we serve, just have faith that what you're doing is going to continue to see eternal purpose come to pass. I think it's incredible. Without trying to highlight anybody, but I can highlight one person because they've, uh, they've actually served. Um, pretty much more than anybody, and my good friend Greg. Where is he, Greg? Where are you? There he is. He's doing the sound today. Greg's been my mate for 35 years at this church, and he's served. And if he didn't work the sound system, we would not be what we are. (laughs) If he hasn't put me... Now, there's many of you else who have done wonderful things, but I'm just saying, God wants to use us you know have you wondered what faith really looks like faith works as we help the needy faith works as we stand in obedience faith works as we serve God in his eternal purposes can I have the team that'd be great thanks guys today I want you to see what James was talking about have you ever considered the service that you give the caring for the needy that you've displayed over the decades or maybe even just the um the obedience that you've it's been hard sometimes to god oh i'm gonna do it but it's not popular and it doesn't you know it just doesn't feel good but i'm gonna be obedient anyway have you ever realized 
that that can be, would you connect that to this belief in your heart that as you outplay that, that there's faith that I can have for a better future. There's faith I can have for someone that I help. There's faith that I can have for God's purposes and plans across this, this city of Gladstone. There's, I just need to connect that with my faith and believe for a better. You know, if you give 50 bucks to someone, why don't you believe that, you know, I'm giving this to you. You don't have to be known. You can give it secretly. But it, you, you could be saying in your heart, you know what? I believe something eternal will happen as I give to the needy here. Something. Do you know what? Sometimes I've discovered I've even given and the needy never seem to respond or never seem to come to Christ. Do you know what? I'm just going to plant the seed anyway. I'm just going to do it anyway. Because sometimes it does something in me. <laughs> sometimes it does something in me. But you know, I serve. I'm never being acknowledged. Well, maybe if we have to get acknowledged, maybe it's not true heartfelt service. Why don't you just do it for Him? Why don't you do it for Him? Well, I've been obedient all my life and it doesn't seem to get me anywhere. Well, just be obedient again. It's amazing the, the wonderful consequences and fruit of an obedient life under Christ. And by faith as you're obedient, as you give up that fleshly thing and say, no, I'm not going to engage in it. Or whatever it may be is saying, God, I'm believing for a great consequence and a better day. I've been challenged as I've just prepared this. And I've, you know, do I care for the needy enough? Do we care as a church? Maybe we could do a lot more. I know over the years we've gone on the streets for three years and helped people who have been drunk we've done night chaplaincy i know that we do ri that's so such a wonderful service i know we have chaplains in our in our church about four or five of them um however many that may be i'm not quite sure about four or five that serve diligently in our schools i know there's aspects of that but i want us to continue to see that we can up the ante and, and do more maybe i know that this last year that there was a group of us gave to those um, families who had uh, spouses in prison that was a great thing and I'm thankful to the, the young adults for what they did there, just reaching out, touching the, the needy. Maybe uh, your heart today is that maybe there's something you can help because we always need people. I, I'm just thankful for, the, uh, for the, our children's church teachers and helpers. Just so vital what Michelle does and with the whole team. Thank you to everybody, I'm, but we need more of them. I'm so thankful uh, for that worship team, but you know we could always go with more musos and singers and just helping out these areas. You know, I'm just thankful for our welcome team, but gee, we could have more people support that. So I'm just saying, you know, there's opportunity to serve the internal purposes. We'd love you to be a part of it. And life group leaders and everybody who does stuff. Thank you, thank you very much. Could we stand? I just want to pray today as we, before we close. Father, we, we just thank you today. I thank you for every person. I thank you for what James addresses, that there is a faith, Lord, which comes through confession and belief in you, Lord Jesus. No effort of our own that we receive salvation. I'm grateful. But there also a demonstration of our faith can be through these very practical areas of action. Father, help us to be a people that would continue to do that. Help us to be people that would see ways to serve, would see the needy and love the needy, help wherever we can. Help us just be people that walk in obedience as a faith step that there's a better day. Father, we ask that in the name of Jesus. And we thank you and praise you today and give you all the honor and glory. Amen.
Come on, how about we just worship one more time as we sing this great song. I love this song. Thank you, Lord. Is a grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. And when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There was another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in Isn't that- 
Um, Father, we just commit our day to you, this week to you, every aspect that we'd be aware that, Father, there's more than just us involved here, that this business that you'd have for us, whatever that may be in our workplaces, at our school places, our family unit, I just ask your hand blessing upon us as we go to this week, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, church. Encourage someone today. Be great.